you have your Bibles, you can open to Mark 9. Mark 9. We'll read a story in just a little bit. We have been looking at grace this, this fall, right? And, and many of you have been with us. If you haven't had a chance, uh, I encourage you to, to go back and listen online because we, we, we have to really understand grace. We just really need to understand it. Otherwise, we can get spun into so many different directions, spun down all these different paths. And, and really, in the end, uh, if we don't understand grace, much of our Christianity just becomes about us and good intentions, and, and works, and duty, and, and all of that, and, and we're really just missing, missing God's constant provision of what he calls grace, right? Grace not just for salvation, but grace in sanctification, which means for the rest of our time on this planet as followers of Jesus. And, and our word picture that I've kind of brought out a few weeks ago is this, is this heat lamp, right, designed around this circle to project heat that way, and we've sort of kind of used it as an illustration to understand that God's grace, the fullness, we've been given everything we need for life and godliness, we're complete in Him. It's always on, the fullness of it, right? And, and our challenge is, is to position ourselves to be receiving God's grace. And as strange as it sounds, right, in in in, in sort of just reasonable understanding. You say, well, why won't we stay here? Why would anyone in their right mind, if God's supernatural provision for every area of my life is constantly on, and I just need to stay in a certain position to receive it, why would anyone in their right mind move? What? It, it just doesn't make sense, right? It just Why would we not just stay here and be enabled to live this abundant life joyful, spirit-filled life. Why don't we just stay here, Mark? What? Right? And we've been really looking at over the last four weeks, the root of why we tend to either intentionally drift or just sort of unintentionally is pride. Pride. Right? Uh, And we're going to look at that today again and kind of move forward. How do we address pride? What, what can we do about this issue of pride in my life and in your life that for whatever reason causes us to drift, to move out of where we need to be, right? And in Mark 9, verse 30, I, I find this actually kind of encouraging. I love the Bible. It's very honest, very truthful in its examples. So Mark 9, Jesus and his boys, they're walking, right? Back in that day, they walked around. So in Mark 9... We'll start in verse 30. It says, They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, 
And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Now here, here's where I get encouragement in the humanness of his boys, the disciples. So they're walking, and Jesus says probably the most profound, central truth about what's going to happen, right? Verse 31, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. That's pretty serious, right? Jesus says, hey, we're going, they're going to kill me, and then there's going to be a resurrection. Right? Like, boom! Supernatural! Right? And pretty, pretty, what, whoa, right? Man, they're going to be, he's talking about him, he's going to be killed, right? But look what it says. They did not understand what he meant, because kind of they're thinking maybe political kingdom, he's the Messiah, right? That the, the typical assumption about what the Messiah was going to do, right? They didn't understand, and they're afraid to ask him. So Jesus gives this profound statement about death and resurrection. The disciples are like, what do you mean? I don't know. You ask him. I'm not going to ask him. You ask him. I'm not going to ask him. Oh, well. They keep walking. And here's where I... <laughs> they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? So Jesus makes this profound statement. I don't know what he meant. Do you know what? You ask him. I'm not going to ask him. Right? They're walking, and somehow they got in an argument. And Jesus must have been privy to it. They're walking, right? They're arguing. They're arguing. What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Jesus makes this profound statement about his death and resurrection. They don't get it. They just kind of, okay. And then on the way, they start arguing. Hey, man, who's the greatest among us? Pride. They're talking about status and the pecking order amongst their group. And Jesus had just laid this profound truth that went, whoop! They were so, they, they, were, they didn't get death and resurrection. They were so scared to ask him, but they weren't afraid to argue about who's number one. Like their pride. It was so about them. They didn't understand this deep, profound truth, death, resurrection. And then... It shifted to me, shifted to pecking order and status. And we went right from death and resurrection to me in the center. Or is it you? Who's number one? Who's the greatest? Right? And I'm encouraged by that because it's in all of us, this pride. This pride. We can even sit in church week after week, go to Bible studies, Hear these profound biblical truths. And if we're not careful, a short time later, argue and become self-centered. Well, what's in, what's in it for me? I didn't, uh, it, it's us. They, had, they were taught something life-changing, eternity-changing, world-changing. And just like that, it went about me, who's the greatest. And I think that's kind of like us. We can come to church, hear these, what we believe from truth, from the Word of God, right? The Word of God. Hear it, say, good sermon, pastor, and then five minutes later we drive away and it's just about us again. It just shifts right back to us and pride and self-centeredness. And I'm like, oh, 
But I'm kind of encouraged by this. Because it reminds me that God knows us. He knows. Right? And, and, and sometimes, don't you wonder if there's anyone who could have been super frustrated on his time on the planet, it would have been Jesus. Right? Hanging out with these yahoos. Right? How many of you are Jesus would have lost it on these guys? Are you kidding me? I just told you what's about to happen to me. And you're arguing about who's the greatest among you. How many of you, like, Jesus, I don't know how many moments he had like this. Like, oh my gosh, really? Right? But then I'm thinking, how many times does he do that for me? Like, really? Really? Right? And so this issue of pride, right? We've got to be willing to, to own it. And it's important because what does it say in 1 Peter 5, 7? Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We've seen, if we want, the first step, we've got to look at this issue of pride. Because if you got pride, God is actively opposing you. Actively, present tense drawn up in military array against your pride. That's a big deal. But he gives grace. He's desiring to continually, it's always on, give grace to who? The humble. So we got, if we really want to stay here, we got to really be willing to look at it. The apostles or the disciples, for whatever reason, they weren't even. At, they didn't understand. They didn't ask. They were afraid to ask. Here's the thing: if, if you're if you're if you're camped here and you're like, man, this is this is challenging. And I've talked to some of you about it the last four weeks. Yeah, it's challenging. But here's my encouragement: don't blow it off. Don't be afraid to ask questions of the Lord. Don't be afraid to get counsel and wisdom from brothers and sisters that'll speak the truth to you. Right? Hang in there. Don't blow it off like they did on this road, right? I love this quote by John Stott. At every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. For the rest of your life, the rest of your sanctification process, you're going to battle with pride and humility. There are two ends, right? But the challenging thing about pride is how many of you tend to be able to spot pride in others pretty easily, right? I shared with you weeks before, if you're sitting, if you've ever sat in a sermon and you've thought, so-and-so really needs to hear this, maybe even the person next to you, not that I need to hear this, but I hope they're listening. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Don't raise your hand, though, right? William Law says this, There can be no surer proof of a confirmed pride than a belief that one is sufficiently humble. <laughs> I'm humble and proud of it. If only more people could be as humble as me. Right? It's so subtle. It is so easy. So for whatever reason, easy to spot. And, but me, pa, I'm good. I'm humble. Right? It's just there. What is, what, is, what is pride? It's self at the center. It's putting self at the center. 
And that's the tension, to live daily with God in the center or me in the center. And man, how many of you have started your days really good with God in the center? Had your quiet time, you're like, I'm good, I'm good. And I kid you not, five minutes down the road, what? Something happens, you get cut off, you hit all the red lights, whatever happens, and suddenly self went right back that fast. Anyone? It happens that fast, right? Right? Pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon Him. That's, it, it, that's the heart of pride. It's not walking around like, yo. No, a lot of us, you know, you're not doing that. Pride is very subtle. It's, it's a who's in the center question, right? The Lord's pretty blunt in how He feels about it because pride is really about control and supremacy. So God feels pretty strong, Proverbs 8.13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Man, that's just straight up. The Lord hates pride and arrogance. Why? Because it's an affront to Him. It's a challenge to Him. C.S. Lewis says that pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. In church history, a lot of theologians attribute pride as the foundation of every other sin and vice. It ultimately comes back to pride because it ultimately comes back to self. Ultimately comes back to self, right? Charles Bridges defines it like this. Pride lifts up one's heart against God. And here it is and contends for supremacy with him. Okay, so, sometimes you, you might get a little attitude, and you go, man, I'm prideful, man, I'm this. What he did was he changed, and he said, you know what, instead of just saying, yeah, Lord, forgive me for my pride, here's, here's, here's what his confession was. Lord, I confess that I am contending for supremacy with you in this area. Now, think about your money, think about forgiving others, think about your thought life, think about (laughs) all these areas in your life, and instead of just saying, man, I'm prideful, think about it this way. Lord, I'm contending for supremacy with you. I'm contending for supremacy with you. I know the scripture says this, but I'm choosing this. What is that? Supremacy issue. That's what pride is. And, and so maybe if you're struggling, for instance, with forgiving somebody, the Bible says forgive as you have been forgiven. Maybe to help you in this area of sanctification, you need to confess that you're, you're contending with God for supremacy in this area. You're contending with God for supremacy. Because that's really what obedience is really what? Submission, trust, faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I choose not to obey what's clear in Scripture, I'm basically saying, I'm God. In this area, I choose to be supreme. That reframes it. That actually, I mean, boom, there's pride. And what is it? It's pride. It's choosing to be supreme. 
And we've seen it manifest in the last four weeks in our fear of man. God asks you to do something and you're afraid to speak in public, pray in public, share your faith out of fear of what people are going to think about you, say about you. So you choose not to. Because in this area, your self-image is more important. Right? We talked about self-sufficiency. We talked about self-righteousness, being right versus being righteous. Last week we talked about self-justification, how we'd like in our humanness, we minimize our responsibility and we maximize our excuses. Right? Man, this is where pride, man, it just rears its head. Even so subtly, right? I was talking with someone uh, last week, right? How many of you have ever been late somewhere? Just late. Don't raise your hand, but just smile. How many of you are sitting next to someone who just seems to be late regularly? There's a lot of smiles. <laughs> okay, so here's the next question. How many have ever been late somewhere? Really, it's because you got up late, you forgot, you're just undisciplined, but you spun it because traffic just seemed to be really bad. Any? Right? You can't just walk in and say, you know, man, I, I, I take responsibility. I'm late. I woke up late. Man, I was undisciplined. Forgot to set my alarm. Or I was just running. I, I was watching TV. Right? Walk in. Man, dude, traffic. Whew. I hit every light coming downtown. Amazing. Right? We, we, we spin it just enough to take the edge off of 100% responsibility. What is that? Pride. It's pride, right? It's rearing up, and, and, and it's just so subtle, and we've been looking at that. And then, and then Psalm 25, 9 says this, He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them His way. Love that verse. God guides the humble in what is right and teaches them His way. What is, what is humility? We looked at this, having a right view of yourself, myself, in relation to God and others, and acting accordingly. So here's the relationship between Pride, humility, and grace. Pride essentially says, I'm good. I don't need grace. I'm independent. Humility acknowledges dependence. And if I acknowledge my dependence, then I acknowledge my need to stay right here for grace. So pride leads to independence. Right? Humility puts me right here. What is it? It's an issue of independence versus dependence. I don't need it. Right? Or it becomes kind of sporadic, what I call crisis Christianity. We're good, we're good, we're good. Something happens. It's amazing what happens to our prayer life and our scripture reading when we need it. The challenge for us is to acknowledge our need and dependence every single day, 24-7. That's the challenge for us, right? It's grace, our need for grace, our acknowledgement of it. Revelation 3.17, he called out the church at Laodicea. He says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. There's the dependence. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. See, our human nature... And many of us have been raised to be independent, self-sufficient. 
move out from mom and dad, make your own way on this planet, right? We're kind of raised that way in our culture. Along comes Jesus and says, hey, by the way, without me, you can do nothing. And by the way, I put you in the body of Christ because you really do need each other. And on the flesh, that doesn't really sit well because there's very, very many successful people in here. You've made it. Career, academics, sports, relationships, you made it. So this idea of daily dependence on God for his grace, that in and of itself is kind of challenging because it requires humility. It requires humility. It requires admitting you don't have it all together. It requires admitting you don't have all the answers. It sometimes requires, oftentimes, you come into the end of yourself and finally putting your hands up and surrender. Right? Why is this important? What is the impact of pride? Look in Second Peter 3.17, it says this. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. What is that verse saying? Verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. We are to be growing in grace, meaning maturing. Okay, grace is not static, it's dynamic. We're supposed to be growing in God's grace, growing in the experience of what it is to know Him and walk with Him. It's progressive, it's sanctification, right? If we're not careful, pride squelches that. And you go, why aren't I growing? Why am I kind of plateauing? Why am I dry? Why am I, just seems, I'm in a, I'm in a desert place. I've heard that, right? It might be. Right. You become independent, kind of good. You're not growing anymore because you feel like you're kind of good. You're just kind of good, right? It's kind of like you became a believer. God cleaned up your life a lot. How many of you would celebrate where you are today, like tangibly? You know you're a new creation and God has healed you. God, you got new. You're even here, crying out loud, right? celebrate all that so boom 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 god calls it good right i mean we're, we're going good but then we get here and if we're not careful in our christian life we call it good and we hit cruise control and now we're just and now these new cars you don't have to steer that's super cruise control now we're like wake me up when we get to the pearly gates right and we're just cruising and we just kind of hit this and we stopped growing in grace. You have to be very careful of that, right? How does pride affect that? Well, into the new year, I'm really excited. Because we're going to look at practical ways to grow in grace. What they call the means of grace or the habits of grace, right? In a book by uh, David Mathis called The Habits of Grace, he kind of cre- presents three categories. And, and we're going to use this into the new year. How do we grow in grace? There's three Three fundamentals, three foundations we're going to look at into the new year. And I'm super excited for us as a church. One, how do we grow in grace? The Word. Two, prayer. Three, the church. Fellowship. If someone comes to you and says, how do I grow in grace? How, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What are, what are the 
think, well, if you said, Pastor, what are three things I need to grow in, learn, appropriate into my life? Three things, that's it. His voice, his ear, his body. Three things. The Word of God, prayer, fellowship in the body of Christ. Three means of grace. We're going we're gonna to spend almost all the next year looking at each of those. What does it mean, the Word of God? Do you really believe this is the Word of God? Prayer. What is prayer? Do you really know what prayer is? And the church. What is the church supposed to be? I am so excited for us as a church to, to, to lay the trifecta of the means of grace into the new year. I, I'm excited. Because here's the thing. If we don't deal with it, and this is why we're dealing with pride right now, look what James 1.19 says. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And what? Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Pride has a direct bearing on how you accept or don't accept the Word of God. Pride is going to, you'll see, it's going to affect all three of these. Why are you dry in reading scriptures? What happens? Could just be pride. You're no longer at a place where you're humbly accepting, receiving. We're going to look at this verse in the New Year. Is your heart humble? To receive the Word of God. Okay? What about prayer? James 4.13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Look what happens with pride and prayer. I get prideful. I don't need to pray. I get presumptuous. Suddenly my prayer life becomes, Lord, bless what I've already decided to do. See? So pride affects the Word. Pride affects my prayer life. I love this quote by H.B. Charles. The things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. The things you neglect to pray about are the things you trust you can handle on your own. Tim Shales says this, if we're not careful and we become prideful, prayer becomes supplemental, not instrumental. Prayer becomes supplemental, not instrumental. What's the root of that? Pride. I got it. Right? In your life and in my life, is prayer supplemental or instrumental? Right? And it's a discipline. It takes discipline. Every Sunday, we gather and and we pray before we come in here. We pray for you. We pray for whoever God's going to bring here. We pray for the preaching. We pray for worship. Why? Why? Because we understand around here, and it's a discipline, that prayer 
And what God is doing here, prayer has to be instrumental. As soon as we as a church tell God we got it and we'll call you when we need you, we're done. We're done. Spiritual, spiritual pride has set in. We drift from our first love and we're done. Where does that come from? Pride. Individually and corporately. Right? So is your prayer life as you sit here? Would you say supplemental or instrumental? Right? And then church. Church. How about this verse? Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. It's pride. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Hebrews 10. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good deeds. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I've got to be honest with you, over 28 years of ministry, it's not been uncommon to hear people tell me, I don't need church. I'm good. I don't know. Those verses kind of tell me we need church. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, what does it say? The eye can't say, I don't need you. The hand can't say, no part of the body can say, I don't need you. But if we rear up and pride sleeps in, I don't need church. I don't need to go today. I'm good. Or how many of us, and I've shared this before, how many of us in our approach to church I call it being a getter versus a giver. How many of us approach church, and you've heard me say this before, we wake up and we're, we're thinking about church and we're like, I hope I get good worship. I hope I get a good sermon. I hope I get my seat. I hope I get that donut that I missed last week. Someone took my sprinkle, right? And we can come to church with this get. I'm a getter. But Philippians 2 says, no, you've got to be a giver. How many of us come to church on Sunday and say, i got to give today. I want to give love. I want to give a hug. I want to give service. I want to give a smile. I want to give a donut. Did you this morning pray that prayer when you got up? I want to go to 1290 grand and be a giver. I just want to give it away. I want, to, I want to be a blessing. I want to put a smile on someone's face. I want to let someone know I'm really glad to see you. I really want to know how your week was. Or was it, oh man, I hope I get something. I hope I get something. You've got to be real careful. See, so pride seeps in. It affects our hunger for the Word. It affects our priority of prayer. And then pride seeps in and affects our whole attitude towards this thing we call church. So that's why we're going to spend a whole lot of time in 2019 looking at these three fundamentals of the means of grace. I don't know about you. I like being here. And I know me that it is so easy to go that way, to go that way, to go this way, usually because it's pride. And usually it's because I think I've got it. Right? That's just my stuff. So what's the answer? What do we, how do we confront pride? What do we do? Are we supposed to sit here and go, bad me, bad me? 
Is that, is that how we deal with pride? How do we, what, what can we do if we're at a place where like, oh Lord, you got me, that's a zinger. How do we, how do we even take a step towards dealing with this issue of pride? Well, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul clues us in. Because if you know Paul, he, he, you know, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, super smart guy, did everything by the book. If there's anyone who could have been prideful, it was him. God uses him, gives him all these great revelations, churches are planted, right? If there's anyone, even after a believer, that could have seeped into spiritual pride and just kind of, I'm good, it was Paul. So what, was, what kept Paul on the narrow track? What, 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 what helped him? Stay right in the pocket, right? Well, Second Corinthians 5.14, he's talking about his ministry, what he called the ministry of reconciliation. Look what he says. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. What kept the Apostle Paul right where he needed to be? What was his core, motivating, compelling drive? Christ's love. Now, in the context here, it's very important. It is not his love for Christ. He's not talking about... He is compelled by Christ's love for him. It's the love of Christ, not the love for Christ. You've got to get this because this is the basis and this is where a lot of us have kind of just slid off and, and with the best of intentions and maybe not anything wrong. I, I, what do you do what you do? Well, it's, I love God and I love others. That's what I'm commanded to do, right? And we have this great motivation, nothing necessarily wrong with that you're doing things out of your love for God, out of your love for people, Truth is, that's secondary. That should come out of His love for you first. 1 John 4.19 We love because He first loved us. We need to stop right now. This is one of those truths that we just gloss over. And that's why I love Christmas in the song. When was the last time you were just stopped in your tracks by the love of God for you? Just stunned by what that cross means. For you. Now just stay with me right here. Because all of you, many of you are churched and you know all the busyness of church and all the things we're supposed to do and all the reaching of the world. Nothing wrong with that. But if you don't understand this, you're missing what the Apostle Paul says compelled him and kept him in check. He was compelled by the love of Christ for him. For him. 
When was the last time you were just dropped to your knees and said, Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, God? You love me that much? You love me that much? Me, me. Sinful, prideful, arrogant. Me, are you kidding me? When was the last time you stopped long enough to let the love of God for you bring you to tears and to your knees and just like, oh my gosh. Because if you stay there, it takes care of your pride. You are humbled by His love. You're overwhelmed by His love. And then you want to serve. And then you want to give. And then you lay down your life self-sacrificially. And it's based on His love for you. It's the love of God, right? I love this prayer. Ephesians 3.16. Apostle Paul praying for the church. Look what he says. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Here it is. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. I love, that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for my kids. That you would know His love that surpasses knowledge. And this no, it's gnosko. It's not factual knowledge. Oh yes, John 3.16, Romans 5.8. It says it there. I know that. No, no, no. When He says that to know this love, it means experiential. It's taken from here to here, link them, and drop to your knees, experiential. He wants the church to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. If you get there, if you experience that, so much in your life will make sense. So much will fall into place. So much. It will. I mean, at some level, those of you in in relationships, how many of you, even at the human level, in your marriages, have been overwhelmed by someone's love for you? Go ahead, put your hands up. I'll give you permission. Yes. It's not perfect, but there have been moments. Right? Haven't you had a moment in your marriage where you're like, I can't believe this person loves me this much. God... I don't know what to do with that. A human being loves me, seen it all, seen me at my worst, and they're not going anywhere, and they still tell me they love me. How many of you have been humbled by that kind of love? Now put that into God. God's love for you. And how many of you, when you've been overwhelmed by that human's love for you, have just, you can't even control your love back? You have deepened. You have wanted to give. You've wanted to... In response, it wasn't even something you had to conjure. It just came out. It was a response. That's what he's talking about. The apostles said, Christ's love for me compels me. 
I would love to be a church that is compelled by the love of Christ. When everyone in this valley says, what is up with you guys? It's the love of Christ, man. It's just the love of Christ. We are compelled because we have each individually come to this place of experientially receiving his love. You know, I told the leaders this morning, on your bulletins, I think our mission statement's there, right? It says, um, we are passionate followers of Jesus, committed to helping others, passionately follow Jesus for the glory of God. It's on there, right? You guys see that? Well, based on this, we're actually modifying that for 2019. We're adding a phrase to our mission statement. And there's going to be a phrase pretty much close to this to lead this up. Because God first loved us, comma, we are passionate followers of Jesus. Da, 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 da. That just happened this week. God's like, you know what? Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship, the well, I want everything you do from this point on to be out of compelled, being compelled by the love of God. You see, when you're compelled by the love of God, you'll go out and you share your faith and you won't even have to think about it. It'll just come out. All this programmy work stuff suddenly takes a whole new relational look. We're not doing anything. We're compelled. Why do we go build houses? We're compelled by the love of Christ. Why do we give? We're compelled. Why do we serve? We're compelled by the love of Christ. We're compelled. When was the last time you just sat long enough, put on worship music, open the scriptures, get away, take a hike, go for a drive, go sit at the beach, and just let God tell you how much He loves you? Just received it. Just received it. Turn on, put on the sound-deadening headphones. Just sat there long enough till you were just smashed by the love of Christ for you. That will, you'll stay right here because <laughs> you won't want to leave. Tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> you right? That's what we're talking about. Now, here's the challenge to it all. Romans 5.5 5 says this. Hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love, same love we're talking, love of God, God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Poured out. Not a trickle. Not a trickle. We're talking fire hydrant. Right? God's love has been poured out into our hearts through Holy Spirit. Who has been given to us. It's spiritual, guys. It's the Holy Spirit. That pours it out. If you're at that place, if you'll slow down and call time out long enough, but this God loves you, God loves me, we just cliche and we move right on to being busy for God. You and I have to sit here long enough. Find a place. Let let the Holy Spirit pour God's love for you, Brenda. Just pour it on you. To where you're like, yeah! <laughs> right? Right? And see what happens. See what happens. And I got to tell you this, as a parent, when I, this, this is even impacting my heart for my kids. Because I don't want my Christian kids to be somehow just consumed with doing 
good things and avoiding bad things. You know what I want my kids to do? I want them to know the love of Christ. I want them to experientially know the love of God for them. Because I believe when they do that, their life will take care of itself. Now what do I do as a parent? Pretty much what I can do is role model and show them what it means to follow Jesus compelled by His love. See, your kids are watching you. They want to know what it's like to be in a follower of Jesus who is compelled by the love of Christ. Let the love of Christ wash over you. Let the Holy Spirit pour it in your heart and then your kids will see the change in you and that will be attractive. But what we do sometimes with the best of intentions and out of protection and fear for our kids and our Christian kids is we just kind of unintentionally put all these, well, don't do that and don't do that and don't do that. And then the kids inadvertently pick up that Christianity is rules and being scared of the world. Right? This is my prayer for you, for us as a church, for my kids, my adult kids, my minor kids, whatever. I want them all to know the love of Christ. But when it says it's the Holy Spirit, I, then I realize it's on my limitations. I can't legislate it and I can't force it. I can role model it. I can make it real in my life and pray that they see it. And pray that they see it. Right? And isn't that Christmas? We sang those songs. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5.8 God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Try to make these um, singular as we read them because sometimes it's generic. God demonstrates His own love for me in this, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. First John 4, 9. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that I loved God, but that He loved me and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Did you get that? Not that I loved God. Isn't that crazy? When I was a sinner, when I was lost, when I had zero love for God, that happened. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. For a while, you know, as Christian parents, even as a pastor, we kind of, my wife and I chatted about presents and giving presents and why on Jesus' birthday do we give presents to each other? Kind of weird, right? We do presents. Gift giving is one of my love languages. I love that. And I'm not saying anything anti-gift giving. But recently we had some, it came up again and we were talking about it. I'm like, do we even need to give gifts this year? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I like, I like giving gifts to my kids. Like I said, it's my love language. A couple when they were little, I was there on Black Friday in Target in Ventura at 4 a.m. with all the other dads. Hey, what are you looking for? Me too. Glad I'm ahead of you in line. Right? I mean, I, I did all that kind of stuff, right? 
And, and yet, I've been like this whole gift thing. And it's kind of been strange because we're like, maybe we don't need it. But it's kind of like didn't sit well because like, okay, let's just take it away. Children, this year your mother and I have decided there shall be no gift giving. We will sit around and stare at each other <laughs> around the empty tree. I mean, right? Kind of weird. Like, didn't really, like, something's wrong. I don't really, what are we going to do? And then I was like, oh, wait, why don't we do this? And I don't know how it's going to work out yet. It's just, my wife's out of town, so she doesn't even know this is coming. But um, <laughs> I'm like, how is this going to work? And I was like, wait, it's not just taking away gift giving. Let's this year maybe spend time as a family letting the Holy Spirit pour out His love and the gift of His Son. Let's just, we can give the gifts, but maybe as a family we need to really just call time out and let the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to come into our home and receive the gift of God's love in a very deep and profound way as a family. And then open gifts. But anyway, you know, I mean, I, I thought, okay, yeah, I think, that, I think somehow we're going to figure that out. But this year, what I want for my kids and my family, I want them to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Nothing would make me happier as a father for my kids to light up because Jesus loves them. And the Holy Spirit is pouring His love into their life. You know? There's a song, Matt Redmond, familiar song. It's called Once Again. Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice. You became nothing, poured out to death. Many times I've wondered at your gift of life. And I'm in that place once again. I'm in that place once again. When was the last time you thought about His sacrifice? Like literally made time to think about His sacrifice for you. When was the last time you just sat in wonder? Sat in wonder that the God of the universe would do that for you. Just in awe. Once again I look upon the cross where you died. I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside. Once again I thank you. Once again I pour out my life. You see, there's the progression. He first loves us. We love Him. We lay down our life. That's the sequence. It all starts with because He first loved us. So I'm going to give you permission. Right now and in the days ahead, I'm going to give you permission to sit quietly before God wherever you do it. You need to take a hike. You need to take a bike ride. You need to take a drive. You need whatever. And ask God, to pour out His love into your heart. For you. For you. 
right where you are in your station life. Just receive however long it takes. Ask based on the authority of Romans 5.5. Lord, I'm asking through the Holy Spirit, pour out your love into my heart. Pour it. Not a trickle. Pour it. I want to know your love that surpasses all knowledge. I want to know it, even if it's this much, because it's it's just too much for my finite mind to grasp. Lord, open it, just however window you can. Open my spiritual eyes. Pour it into my heart. Do that. Do that and see what it does to your whole perspective about everything in your life. Seriously, just do that. Let's pray together. Lord, Lord, as much as we are honest about pride in our life, Lord, thank You for showing us that that we address pride. We're actually set free from pride. We have victory over pride as we allow the love of Christ to be poured into our hearts. And we're humbled by Your grace. We're humbled by Your mercy. We're humbled by Your love for us, for me, for me. Oh, Lord. This morning, would you please, through the Holy Spirit, pour your love into our hearts. There are some here who feel unlovable. There are some here shackled by guilt and shoulda, woulda, couldas. There are some here who struggle with receiving love, even at the human level. I get all of that. But I pray as only you can do. Through the Spirit, pour your love into our hearts. It's Christmas. 